This is Wrestling with your host, Isaac Scanlon. Joining me for this episode of Wrestling are my friends Sterling Herrer, Andrea Mikey, and Jonathan Barsh. Join us as we break down all the hit movies this summer, such as Oppenheimer and Barbie. Along the way, we wrestle with the themes of the movies, such as the ethics of the nuclear bomb and feminism. We also wrestle with why some movies perform better at the box office than others, and what makes a movie worth seeing at the theater, among other things. Also, hear Sterling share his movie idea. Needless to say, this episode is full of spoilers for pretty much every movie that has come out this summer, so don't say I didn't warn you. Hello, friends. Welcome to wrestling. So I have not one, not two, but three additional guests on this very special episode of wrestling. So if you want to go around, introduce yourselves. Yeah, I'm Jonathan Barch. Andrea Mikey. Sterling Hare. Of course, you know Sterling. He's, he's on here for the fourth time. He's so, a veteran over here. Yeah, yeah, so be sure to check out those episode, those links I'll put in the description with the other episodes if you want to hear more of Sterling. But, nice. yeah, Andrea and Jonathan are a couple more friends that, that I've met at church. And something we've been doing this summer is we've been seeing a lot of movies together. We have. And as this episode, I'm planning to drop this on Labor Day, which is the unofficial end of summer. So here we are talking about all the great movies we saw this summer. It's been a big summer of movies, a lot of blockbusters. I know, there's, well, there'll be plenty to talk about. Let's see. There, there was the Barbie movie, there was Oppenheimer. Yep. A lot of good ones. So we're going to dive into talking about the ones we've seen, the ones that we thought were good, the ones we thought were bad. <laughs> Which one do you want to start with, Isaac? Well... For me, the movie I was most looking forward to this summer was Oppenheimer, because it was directed by the GOAT film director, Christopher Nolan. He, Christopher Nolan is the man, and I really wanted to see another Nolan movie. Yeah, you know, honestly, going into that movie, I was kind of dreading it, because it's a three-hour drama. Way I, too long. And I <laughs> thought I would be bored, but it really held my attention, and... It was tense at times, suspenseful. They did a really good job with keeping you engaged. Yeah. And, hey, it featured your favorite president, Sterling. Yeah, and kind of a weird scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Play, play, played by Gary Oldman, nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I'm with Isaac where Christopher Nolan was, like, one of my favorite directors. Um, I loved, like, The Prestige, Inception. Oh, The Prestige. Um, I think that's my all-time favorite. So good. Yeah, but Christopher Nolan always does, like, crazy complex plots with lots of like non-linear step storytelling like flashbacks and stuff and yeah he's just a really really good storyteller i think um the oh yeah tenet was another recent one he's done with the like a, a really original take on time travel and stuff so so i was looking forward to, to oppenheimer now to see how he would handle that one but um yeah what do you guys think of like the actors in there they had a pretty good cast i thought that cast was excellent 
Come yeah. Oscar season, I hope some of them win for like best actor. Especially I, Robert Downey Jr. I thought he did a really, really good job. Yes, agreed. Yeah, I, I like the way Nolan Nolan seems he has his crew of actors that he likes to use. And I actually kinda like that. It's it's another thing that really really distinguishes his films. Yeah, he does use a lot of the same... Yeah, I was surprised to see, like, Michael Caine was not in this one. He's been in a lot of Christopher Knowles movies in the past. But, but yeah, we had Killian Murphy in this one, um, who's been in, like, the Batman movies and stuff that yep. Nolan did. Um, let's see. Who, oh, yeah, Emily Blunt was in this one. She was a good actress, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would agree, though, Robert Downey Jr. gave an incredible performance. I think he probably would have the best chance of winning, like, a Best Supporting Actor Oscar in my mind, but... Yeah, Audrey, who do you think the actors, like, what performance stood out to you the most? I didn't see Oppenheimer. Oh, Ooh, I was. <laughs> why not? It's an opportunity. It's way too to long. <laughs> Three hours, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I was kind of bummed, though, like, you know, he included some of the explicit, you know, rated R kind of nudity and sex scenes and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Like, he didn't do that with his prior movies, and like, wow, that's kind of disappointing. Why did he have to throw that in there? So why do you think I, he did? I know, right? Because, I mean, yes... I want to assure you we are still godly people here. Yeah, I don't know. I think, like, he he would say, like, it contributes to the story and it is, like, artistic, but I don't I don't think so. Like, there's there's no excuse to put that kind of stuff in there. But. Well, I do think one of the themes is that Oppenheimer was not always faithful to his wife. And, and here comes the first of several spoilers. One of, one of the scenes is that Oppenheimer, he, you know, he's in this camp in the desert and they're working on creating the atom bomb. And he has this affair with this woman. He slips out and he goes and sees her. But of course, they're in the middle of the Manhattan Project. They are creating, at that time, the deadliest weapon in human history. That is the difference between winning and losing a war. So he has this top secret information and then he's going out and he's just seeing this lady. So I think the idea there is that is that they're saying not only was Oppenheimer, you know, unfaithful. And of course, that might be a later character concern when when, you know, everyone was trying to slander him. But but, you know, he was potentially he was we weren't sure about how well he was handling top secret information. Well, and wasn't it compounded by the fact that the girlfriend was a member of the Communist Party? Or yeah. she had connections? Yeah, yeah, that was that was the major theme. The if if you will, the premise of the movie is that everyone was trying to slander Oppenheimer as a communist and as unfaithful to the US. Because it's kind of interesting, because we sided with the Soviet Union in World War II. And so at that point, they were still our allies, technically. But it changed really quick after the end of the war. The enemy of your enemy is your friend. Yeah. To me, some of the really cool themes that the movie wrestled with was, like, the moral part of it. Of, like, if he can develop this bomb, should you? And, like, what are the ramifications of, like, giving the world, you know, the, the greatest weapon it's ever seen? And... You know, they have some really, like, meaningful scenes that hit you where, like, it kind of sinks in, like, the reality of the death that this thing will produce. And, um, yeah, so it's kind of cool. Like, imagine being in that position where it's like, we have no idea 
you know, what this could do. As, you know, he talked about there's a slight chance it could like continue a chain reaction and blow up the whole atmosphere. And so they, they just don't yeah. know what it could do. And the moral part of like, yeah, if we could do this, should we though? And yeah, that, that was kind of interesting to me. Yeah, man, that was crazy. I had no idea they thought that it could possibly blow up the whole universe. That was, that was wild. Einstein also makes an appearance in there, yeah. which was really cool. He played a cool role in there, yeah. kind of being a mentor figure for Oppenheimer. But for a second, I'd actually like to circle back to that, to the mistress that Oppenheimer saw. Something else interesting that happened was that, um, I think like a week or two later, after Oppenheimer visits her, she dies in an apparent suicide. And I'm like, that made me wonder just a little bit. It's like, okay, you are exposed possibly to this top secret information. And then you die under mysterious circumstances. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I'm. That's a little suspicious. I, I could not help but be a little bit sketched out by that. In fact, I kind of wonder if that's what Nolan was going for because... I'm trying to remember this scene, and I could be remembering this completely wrong, but it's almost like I could see that that there was a scene in there, you know, recreating the death, and it's almost like someone else's hand was putting her head in the tub. Am, am I just making that up, or...? I don't remember exactly how that scene played out. Okay, I could be just totally making that up, but yeah. I remember thinking there was a real possibility that lady got Epsteined. That's <laughs> that's a bit of a bit of a um, bit of a tangent, but that's that's my official uh, theory on the movie. Yeah, and there there were a lot of you know discussions of yeah, did he keep the secrets and like you know you mentioned already there's a lot of people skeptical of his character and did he give away all the classified information? But I think the movie portrayed him in a way that I was like yeah he kept the secrets and he didn't spill it to the Soviets and all that um, yeah especially with like Matt Damon's character you know the US military guy um, he you know pretty much trusted Oppenheimer the whole time and um, yeah so it's interesting to say like even though a lot of people doubted him at least the way the movie portrayed him he was you know good at keeping the stuff secret <laughs> so yeah and by the way in case you don't quite remember, remember Matt Damon's character, he's the one who, when he and Oppenheimer were talking about the bomb, and, you know, Oppenheimer was saying, there's an almost zero chance that this is going to blow up the whole atmosphere. <laughs> and then Damon's character is like, yeah, zero is what I want. That would be nice. That's a great line, yeah. Zero would be nice. <laughs> Matt Damon's character's name is Leslie Groves. Oh, FYI. yeah. Groves, that's right. I really liked all the, like, the international politics in yeah. the movie. Like, when they're racing to develop the bomb so that Truman can tell Stalin about it in the mm. closing days of World War II and how it was used as leverage that way. Yeah, because didn't... Well, I know you studied... I know... Remind me, Sterling, you studied uh, political science and international... Relations. Relations. Yes. Yeah, so this is right up your alley then. Yeah, that's probably why I enjoyed it more. Because the science of it kind of lost me. Like all the detailed scientific 
discussions and stuff. Like, we went with some friends, and they were talking about all the other scientists that were featured in the movie. Yeah. And I had no idea who any of them were. Nils Bohr was one of them. Yep. Yeah, Bohr, he was a famous one, played by Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, I was really excited when all the scientists were mentioned, and then, of course, Einstein's cameo appearance. Yeah. But, yes, I mean, of course, the politics were, were fascinating. Mm-hmm. Another scene that stood out to me was when he was talking to the people at Los Alamos and they were just going crazy with the plaz and stomping their feet because they had developed this weapon. But then Oppenheimer's realizing what they're cheering, like the Mm. death of millions of people. Mm. And they were excited for that. Yeah, that was a great scene because on the one hand, we won the war. (laughs) So that was pretty exciting, but... But probably a healthier perspective would have been to say, you know, we had to do it, but we probably shouldn't be celebrating this too much. We just did what we had to. Although that premise is also debated today, whether or not it was needed. Some would argue that we were in the waning days of World War II anyway, and that eventually Japan would have surrendered either way. Yeah, true. Because by that point, Nazi Germany had already surrendered. Right. They'd surrendered for for a few months. Yeah, the bomb was initially going to be used for Germany, but then when they surrendered, it's like, well, now let's look to Japan and see if we can end that front. So. Yeah, and then there was that one scene where they were deciding which city to bomb, and someone mentioned Kyoto, and one of the generals was like, nah, let's not bomb Kyoto because my wife and I honeymooned there. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting comment. It just goes to show you that a lot of world history was decided by regular people with their own experiences, preferences, whims. Yeah, like the triviality with which they made those decisions of deciding which city to destroy millions of lives. Hmm. Do either of you know if there's any historical accuracy to that Kyoto decision? I'm guessing not. Like that was probably just an example of you know what it probably was like for them to make that decision and being influenced by their own personal experiences. But, but I mean, would it really be that surprising? Not no, surprising not really. at all. But yeah, you mentioned the science part of it, Sterling. I thought it was cool too. It was fairly educational for like the physics part of it and kind of teaching about you know the hydrogen bomb versus atom bomb and all that and like the fission and fusion and. Um, yeah, it was kind of, I mean, not all of it was able to be followed by, like, the average viewer, I guess, but, um, but yeah, it was kind of educational to some degree, so, kind of teaching you how the bomb is actually developed and stuff, but, I don't know, I think the length, for me, like, felt a little, yeah, the three hours part did get a little long, but, um, yeah, it could have been cut down a little bit. Do you guys think, would you agree? Yeah, maybe a little bit, but I think it was worth it. I actually wish they would have done more. And I wish they would have done like a HBO type miniseries. Mm. Like six episodes, an hour each. That would be good, yeah. Mm. Split just it a into format. Yeah, do a series instead of just a three hour movie, yeah. What do you guys think about how our culture thinks about nuclear weapons? Like, I would say like five years ago, we never thought about nuclear weapons. Like, they were just kind of in the background, but no one was really scared of them. But now, with the war in Ukraine and Putin threatening them. Now they're kind of more at the forefront a little bit. I know, because, of course, you have our old rivals, the Russians, back at, or I guess Russia still is our enemy, but... 
I think that's why Oppenheimer caught on more this year, though. It's because mm. that it is more relevant today. Hmm. That's an interesting thought, yeah. And people have been worried that, like, oh, North Korea is going to do something with yeah. atomic bombs or whatever. Yeah, back when Trump called Kim Jong Kim Jong Un Rocket Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's actually picked up quite a bit since then. Yeah. yeah, it's been interesting, though, like with the wars and stuff. I feel like doing an atomic bomb would just ensure retaliation and so that's kind of what has stopped most countries from using it because they know it would come right back on them and kill a bunch of their people so yeah Oppenheimer said in the movie right that he thought this was gonna unleash the greatest peace the world's ever seen yeah yeah but of course you have you know mutually assured destruction that was what you heard throughout the cold war and you know that's why we had to keep making nukes as a deterrent for for the Soviets. Right. So, um, do you want to say something? Well, I was going to say, Oppenheimer is now the second highest R... Sorry. Second highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. Oh. Huh. Wow. Only behind Joker, which I think is kind of interesting. Oh, that's the number one rated R. Do you know if that's adjusted, adjusted for inflation? No, it's not. Okay. But still, I mean, well, yeah, but still, that's that's still a lot of money, no matter how you slice it. Yeah, it was a huge hit, honestly. Yeah, that's, people went to see it, especially, it feel like this summer, the you know box office was kind of rejuvenated for, you know, a lot of big Hollywood movies coming out. People wanted to go out and see them in theaters again, and instead of, like, the trend we've seen sometimes where going straight to streaming and stuff like that, it's good to, good to go back to the theater. I hope Oppenheimer influences the types of movies that Hollywood makes. Like, we want original right. movies that aren't part of some franchise, you know, that aren't pre-existing mm-hmm. yeah. properties. Like, like audiences will come out to see these types of gritty dramas if they're done well. Mm-hmm. An original story. But yeah, there were also plenty of remakes this summer. <laughs> I remember uh, we all went to see we went to see Mission Impossible together. Right. Well, that's yep. not really a remake as much of a sequel. So, okay. Yeah. Sequel. Um, franchise. It goes to that same theme. To me, the big remake was Little Mermaid, though. Oh <laughs> that yeah, was just that a was a big carbon remake. copy of the animated one. <laughs> so what what did you think about Little Mermaid, though? To me, uh, I was not a fan. Like. I'd rather see an original idea with a movie. Um, they did add some new things with like Lin Manuel Miranda added some good songs, um, and I mean having Aquafina as Scuttle was kind of fun. Added some new things, but but in for the most part the movie just felt like the exact same as the animated movie. And it's like you know the animated movie is good, but you don't need to just make a, an exact replica of it in live action. Uh, so I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I actually think of all the live-action remakes Disney's done, Little Mermaid was one of the weaker ones. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Isaac didn't want to be seen going to the movie with us to see Little Mermaid. But hey, I did go with you to see Barbie. That's true. The second time that Sterling saw it. Yes. <laughs> I did want to say, though, I really liked Melissa McCarthy. As a villain in Little Mermaid. Yeah. I think yeah, she, she did, did a really a good job. job, actually. She killed it, yeah. She was a good part of that. And, yeah, David Diggs, the, the guy from Hamilton, he was the voice of Sebastian. And he did the a crab. good job. So, yeah, yeah there were definitely parts of it that were good. 
Like, I think that's what most people would say about the movie. Like, for what it was, it was fine. Yeah. It wasn't anything special, you know. Like, like it was just like a meh type of thing. Yeah. Pretty unoriginal. Uh, it just, to me, seems like this was a money play or, you know, Disney in the upper studios are just kind of, how can we make money? And they know that people will come to see something like this. And just, I mean, that's why they've been going through all their old classics and just remaking them on live action because they know it's going to make money and they don't need to come up with anything original. So, well, did you see that the next on the list is Sleeping Beauty? Oh, oh yeah. Not Sleeping Beauty, Snow White. Snow, oh, right, yep. Yeah. And Gal Gadot is the, <laughs> the villain. Yeah. She's the evil queen. Yeah. <laughs> that would be kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is kind of interesting. I think audiences are catching on, though, for these live-action remakes. Mm-hmm. Little Mermaid grossed $560 million worldwide. Interesting. Aladdin, which came out in 2019, grossed over a billion dollars. And, so, bu- and by the way... Um, you know, um, Sterling was saying earlier that when he said Oppenheimer grossed uh, seven hundred million, did you say? Yeah, around there. Okay, was that for the world or? Yeah, it's worldwide. Okay, huh? Because it seems like I'm surprised. I w- I would have expected then. It seemed like little. What did you say? Little Mermaid was like five hundred or something. Yeah, it doesn't seem that far behind. But yeah, having context it helps. Yeah. Well, domestically they were the same. They oh. both were three hundred million. Oh really? And is Oppenheimer still going, or are they done in the box office? Oh, it's still going. Anyway, the point I was making is that I think Little Mermaid dropped down significantly from like Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. some of those other remakes they've done. People are getting tired of it. Yeah. yeah. Franchise fatigue. That's yeah. the term I've heard. <laughs> Which brings us to Mission Impossible, actually, right. which I think is case in point for franchise fatigue. So you, you, yeah. so you didn't like it then? Hmm? So you didn't like No, I really like Mission Impossible a lot, which is why I don't understand why it did so poorly. Because it was a really good movie. I would say that a lot of people that saw it thought it was really good. I agree. Okay, I have the stats. This movie grossed... 550 million worldwide. Dead Reckoning did? Mm hmm. Okay. Whereas the previous movie, Fallout, grossed 800 million. Huh. Wow. So it's dropped down quite a bit. Interesting. I feel like fans still love this one, though. I feel like, yeah, the, the box office maybe doesn't tell the whole story. But. Also, Tom Cruise was coming off of Top Gun Maverick last year, which was a True. huge runaway success. Yeah. And so I thought that he would be building off the success of that movie. Yeah. Yeah, to me, you know, Mission Impossible, this was, I, I really enjoyed it. It was amazing action, like, kind of keeps you locked in the whole time, really exciting. They And they continue to do new and creative action scenes instead of just kind of doing the same things we've seen in all the other movies. But um, they keep pushing the envelope and, like, exploring new ways to have... Tom Cruise, you know, in dangerous situations and um, like the, you know, driving the motorcycle off of the cliff with, you know, just the parachute. And <laughs> that was cool. And, yeah. And for him to actually do that himself, that, I'm impressed. Yeah. I like too that the villain was kind of like AI, which I mm-hmm. thought was like pretty modern. Yeah. I, I know. That's very fitting for 2023. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the first time that's been done though. They did that in Eagle Eye like a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. 
how about the acting in this one? They they had some of the familiar characters like Ving Rhames and stuff, um, and they introduced like Haley Atwell in there as a new actress. Um, I thought Haley Atwell was really good. But what do you guys think? Who was she again? She was like the um, the one that kind of joined their team. She was like a thief at first. Oh then, yeah, oh. I liked her. Yeah, yeah I liked that. She did that. a good job. Yeah, I like that character. She's been um, like in the past. She's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as like Agent Carter. She was like the one in love with Steve Rogers and Captain America and stuff. But but then yeah, hmm. so I hadn't seen her in anything besides Marvel movies and stuff. But it, yeah, she did did well in this role. It also had the gal that plays Mantis in Guardians. Right. Yep. Yep. It's like a villain. Yeah. And that's another franchise movie. There was. Wait, was that during the summer that Guardians came out? It was like May. Yeah, it was like early summer. Close enough. <laughs> yeah. That was a good one. Are we moving on to that one from Mission Impossible at this point? Oh, uh, it depends. I just thought of that. Yeah, we can come to that later. But. No, yeah, I thought Mission Impossible was a very good installment. And the next one is already coming out next year. Yeah. Dead Reckoning part, part 2. Yeah. I was going to say, if you're going to have a... Well, yeah, if you're going to have a part 2, we want to see it. Although, might that get pushed back due to the writer's strike? I no, heard I th- that one was going to be pushed back. Yeah, since, like, even the movies that have already been made and completed, they can't do the promotional tours, and the actors can't promote the movies and stuff. So, um, yeah, with, like, Dune Part 2, I've heard they might have to push that one back for that reason. Dune kind of... Part 2 is already pushed back. Oh, okay. It's coming out in March now. Oh, wow. But I don't see that there's any chance that the strike would still be going next summer. Who knows? Uh, hopefully they get I it done doubt soon. That. Okay, I, according to Wikipedia, these two movies were filmed back to back. Right. So hypothetically, it's good to go. Or Except ready. for the promotional part. Right. Like the, yeah. But, but yeah, and this one, you know, for being a part one, it was like, this was a pretty long one too, right? Like two hours and 40-ish, something like that. But um, Yes, it was 163 minutes. Oh, there you go. Two hours and 43. Do you think that most moviegoers are disinclined to see movies that are that long? I am, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it like is I, a deterring factor, I think. Like, I wonder if the box office would improve if the running time was shorter. Yeah. Yeah, I know people, yeah, typically have a shorter and shorter attention span. And, yeah, so it's like movies need to accommodate that. Well, and also, you're you're blocking off that additional time in your schedule. Right. Mm-hmm. It's funny, though, contrasting that with the way... TV series and stuff, people are okay binging like eight hours straight of a show, but then for like a three-hour movie, they're like, oh, that's way too long. (laughs) Well, I think a lot of viewing habits have changed Mm -hmm. in the last couple years. It's streaming. People can just watch it at home. Right. You know, and they're like, well, why would I go to a theater and see it with... uh... The experience of going to the theater is always kind of unpredictable, you know? Mm -hmm. You never know who you're going to end up with in the Mm -hmm. theater. Yeah, so I know... Sterling, you and I were talking a little bit about this, but what do you think is a quality in a movie that makes it worth going to the theater to see? Mm, that's a good question. I think um, the action sequences. Okay. If you feel like you need to see them on a big screen as opposed to a small screen. Mm-hmm. Also, the actors... If you want to see like a bigger cast, sometimes there's movies that are more of an event. Like if other people are seeing it, you want to be able to talk to 
about it with people. Right. I think Barbie was successful with that. Like, it felt like everyone was seeing Barbie, so you felt left out if you weren't seeing it. Right. It was a cultural phenomenon, for sure. Yeah. And I feel like another, to the point of, like, what makes you want to go to the theater, it is, like, the whole experience. And to me, a big part of that experience is, like, the sound. Um, when it just, like, you know, knocks you back in your seat and stuff. That's something you don't get in, your, you know, your own home. And uh, a, a quote my brother said, looking forward to Oppenheimer, was like, I want to go to the theater so I can feel the explosion. Nice. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, I, I understand that. And, um, you know, it's just a bigger, more full experience. And the way a lot of directors intend their movies to be seen is in the theater. And, uh, yeah, so I would definitely be an advocate for, you know, keeping up the theater trend instead of just having everything go to, straight to streaming and watch it at home. Man, I remember that explosion scene in Oppenheimer. That was a really, that was a great scene. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, some streaming services like Netflix, they're putting out original movies now that are actually pretty good in quality. Mm-hmm. And so now when a good action movie comes out, people are like, oh, maybe I could just watch it at home anyway because they're already trained to watch it from home. Right, yeah. And part of it is, like, the social aspect of, like, leaving your house and going to see a movie with your friends, too. True. Yep, yep. So how about Across the Spider-Verse? That was a fun one, kind of earlier in the summer, I think, and yeah. maybe before yeah. that. But, so, um, yeah, what do you guys think of, like, the how how that one do compared to the first one? I never got around to seeing it. I haven't and seen it either. part of the reason is because I've actually only seen about a third to half of the first one because I was watching the first one with a group of friends and I fell asleep during it. That's not good. That's, yeah, that's not great. <laughs> you know, the first one won the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. Yeah. So it was pretty good. I, I did like the first one. Honestly, I think it kind of has revolutionized the way animated movies are done. Like, you know, that style, the way it looks, is being copied by a lot of other movies now. Like the new Ninja Turtles one that came out is like that same kind of style. And people like it, and it's entertaining. It's very visually stimulating and exciting to watch. Um, and yeah, I think like the story in this one was pretty good. Um, a lot of good character development and stuff. Um, funny, funny references to a lot of Spider-Man. Yeah, I thought jokes this movie was hilarious. Yeah, like it was nonstop laughs the whole. Movie. Yeah, they've they've made the joke of like the Spider-Man pointing the meme like that and stuff. Oh, that was so fun. <laughs> By the way, I'm just gonna give a plug. Check out the episode I did on Spider-Man No Way Home. Ooh, okay. Yeah. That was the, the last Spider-Man movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> Most recent one before, before so, this one, of course. So why do they keep making both animated and live-action Spider-Man movies at the same time? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, part of it's like different ownership, right? Like, um, Sony has been doing like all the animated ones, but then... The Marvel Cinematic Universe ones with Tom Holland, like they have some kind of joint ownership with like Sony and Marvel for those, and so with the intellectual property, all the there's some kind of rules of you know they're each trying to make Spider-Man material and make money off of it. Hmm. Gotcha. Oh yeah, I really enjoyed this most recent uh, animated one though. Yeah, across the Spider-Verse. I loved the the villain, the Spot. Like he was kind of a goofy one, goofy villain for the first part of the movie. But then, yeah, they revealed like a different villain for the end and stuff. But um, and then yeah, ends with a great cliffhanger. I think to make people want to go see the next one now. But I really like the family dynamics too mm-hmm. between um, the main character and his parents. Yeah, that was sweet. It was. 
What other movies we want to talk about? We can talk about uh, Barbie. Yeah, we definitely got to talk about Barbie. Can I share that? And I think we've actually all seen it, right? I've not. (laughs) So I'll sit this one out. Because you're lame. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, can I tell a story of when Andre and I went to see this movie? Sure. Oh my gosh. So we went to the AMC in Coon Rapids, okay? And we get there, and we're in line, and we're trying to scan it on my phone. And then I look, and it says the Roseville AMC. Yeah, so we were at the wrong theater. So I quick canceled those tickets and got some new ones for the theater we were at. But the only seats they had were the front row. So we were, like, leaning way back, next crank, trying to watch the whole Lucky it was a recliner seat. Otherwise, I would have left. (laughs) Yeah. It was still fun, though. But it was also a subtitles film. Oh, I don't mind that. It was kind of nice. Yeah. I was just going to say something that when we go to the movies, sometimes we argue about where to sit. It's yep. true. I like the back. Sterling likes the middle. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same. I like the middle and the center. Yeah. yeah. Isaac likes the back and the center. Like yep. I do. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, you know, the worst is when somebody comes and sits right in the seat in front of you and you can't put your feet <laughs> up then for the movie. So yeah. I feel like the, the, the theater we go to a lot is kind of a... You know, lesser, less popular one. So, you know, it's a better chance we have an open theater where we can put our feet up, which is nice. <laughs> I like, if I go to Rosedale, I like to get a seat that's right on the side, like the aisle. On the side. And then I time it so that I come like 15 minutes after mm-hmm. the start time. There you go. So you don't have to sit through the trailers. And then you don't have to walk across people to sit down. Oh, you just that's a good call. pop down and. Nice. Yeah, but the middle has better acoustics, I think. I don't know. It doesn't make a huge difference to me. But everyone knows that if if a movie's official start time is 7, that movie's not starting until at least 7.15. Yeah, usually there's like 20, 25 minutes of previews, and, and that gets frustrating. Maybe that is another reason why the box office is down. People don't want to go and sit through all these trailers... Especially right. when you've seen them all multiple times already. Mm-hmm. But it's also a pretty... Well, you can easily get around it by just showing up 15 minutes after the official start time. Yeah, yeah. but then you might not get a good seat. Mm, that is true. Unless they're the ones you reserve ahead of time. Like some yeah. don't have those true. reserve which seat it is. No, that's I, a good point, Andrea. I hate trailers because I feel like I am paying to watch ads. instead of the ads earning revenue for the movies you watching the ads is earning them revenue (laughs) we pay twice yeah (laughs) yeah i remember like multiple times where you know a a trailer finishes and we're like hopeful that is the movie going to start now but then like the next trailer comes on and you just hear like a big exasperated like oh across the whole theater (laughs) no it's not as bad as when nicole kidman comes on nicole kidman comes on you can hear the whole theater just give a big sigh you think you're done and then there she is she's always like Heartbreak feels good in a place like this. <laughs> I'm feeling that right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I really hope they get someone else to remake that. Just, like, get something new. They've been playing that ad since the start or the end of the pandemic. Yeah. Like, at least two years now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was a novel thing when it's like, hey, 
pandemic's over, we're back in theaters now, but I think it might be time to switch it up. Come on, AMC. And it's like, oh, come on, we, do, we don't... Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Shut up. Nobody cares. Also, I've noticed that before a lot of the movies, like after Nicole Kidman, they'll have like the director or the main actors for the movie have this little clip where they're like, thank you so much for coming out to the theater to support this movie. We hope you enjoy it. Which is nice. It's a nice sentiment, but it's so unnecessary. Like, just get on with the movie already. We don't want to... Or put it at the end. Yeah. You know, like, we don't want to have to sit there and just listen to your pretentiousness. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. Okay, because they did that in Mission Impossible, right? Yes. Yep, yep. And I think at the end of Sound of Freedom, they did that, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that was more for raising money, though. That's true. Anyway, we were talking about the Barbie movie. Yeah, where should we begin with Barbie? There's so much that could be said about Barbie. Andrea, what are what are your initial thoughts? I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Was it nostalgic for you? Like, did you grow up playing with Barbies? Kind of. More so my sister would, like, take my Barbies and, like, cut their hair or whatever. So <laughs> maybe my Barbies were the weird Barbie. Aww. Um, there was a lot of, like, stereotypical, like, masculine and feminine stuff in the movie, but I liked it. See, what I thought was brilliant about the Barbie movie was that it was more than just Barbie. Like, it was just using Barbie as a vehicle to explore and discuss a variety of different topics, you know? So I thought it was a lot deeper and a lot more meaningful than I ever would have guessed a Barbie movie would be. True. So what kind of themes did it explore? Like, what were the... Feminism. Oh, really? The patriarchy. Although, there's a lot of takes online where people disagree with it. So I like to joke that Barbie is all fiends to all people. Like, people hear whatever they want to hear in it. Like, we have a friend that's, like, ultra MAGA, really into Trump and stuff, and he had a conservative take on the movie. He thought it was more conservative-leaning. And then there's other, like, Daily Wire people on YouTube that I've watched, and they talk about how they like it a lot, too. But then, obviously, there's the feminism stuff that tends to be more liberal. So. But, yeah, I think... When Sterling and I were talking about the movie, we we both really liked the Ken character. Yeah, Ryan Gosling did a great job. I thought Ken was such a funny character and very relatable. Like, I would say of all the characters in any movie this summer, Ken is my favorite. Really? That's yeah, a big yeah. and I really enjoyed his big dance number at the end. I like that. I just like the message of Ken, where people kind of feel like they're on the sidelines, overlooked, you know, and his whole story arc is kind of being more seen and included. Like, Barbie at the end is like, I'm sorry I didn't appreciate you more, you know, and I think a lot of people today can feel that way at times. What did you think of the, like, side character, what was his name, Alan? He was funny. Oh, yeah. He was trying to get out of the Barbie universe. Yeah, he didn't really do a whole lot, right? Not really. He was just trying to get out. Yeah. I don't remember much about... Oh, yeah, Alan. I I remember him now. He's the guy... He's the only guy that teams up with the Barbies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I I really enjoyed Barbie a lot. I thought it... the Just playing around. <laughs> also, the score I really enjoy. I've been listening to it a lot on Spotify. Nice. That's good. 
Who did the score? Who, do you know who the composer was? Or we could look it up right now. Yeah, it was... Um, uh, hold on, this one. Yeah, having good music is a really important part to a movie. Having a good soundtrack to kind of add to the story. It was Mark Ronson. Never heard of him. He's the guy that also did the song Uptown Funk. Oh, cool. I was going to say, isn't he in like Bruno Mars songs? Yeah. So it has kind of more of a pop R&B kind of vibe to it. Which I enjoy. Cool, cool. Anything else from Barbie stand out to you guys? I just thought it was really well done. Like, it's very visually fun to look at. Very bright. And then I really liked when they go to the real world. Mm. And you can see them, like, going through all the different scenes and stuff. I also like the take on how um, everything in the Barbie world was run by women. Which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, definitely, it makes you, yeah, that part of it makes you think. Because, you know, how Ken felt sidelined and, and you know, it, it definitely makes me sympathize more with feminist arguments. You know, it's like, is this how some women feel, being, being sidelined? So, it definitely made me think about this whole debate from a, different perspective than I naturally do, but that's just me. Yeah, there's parts of it too that are just kind of played for laughs. Yeah. They don't take it too seriously. Oh, oh yeah, I mean... <laughs> yeah, that whole part with the Mount Rushmore of horses. Yeah. There's this clip of Ken discovering the patriarchy, quote-unquote, and he's going up an escalator, and there's this big screen in front of him, and it's like all these macho masculine themes. It's like Rocky Balboa, Ronald Reagan, they got the American flag, and Ken is just like eating it up, and like really into it. <laughs> and I just laughed so hard at that part. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think one we all saw together was Indiana Jones, right? What do we think about that one? I liked that one. That was pretty fun to see. Another one was like the, you know, bringing back a series that everybody's familiar with. Yeah. I love the Indiana Jones franchise overall. That's mm -hmm. a movie series very close to my heart, I would say. Just like growing up with them and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And to still have Harrison Ford making those movies when he's 80 years old, that, I thought that was very impressive. He yeah. had scenes where he ran and stuff, when, you know, an old man run, but he still did it. Yeah, he did a good job. What did you think of the new sidekick? Oh, Dale. yeah, I thought she was a, a good actress. I think that was pretty, um, yeah, pretty good fit for that, what the movie was going for, I think. See, I disagree. I thought that character was really annoying mm. and kind of dragged the movie down. Oh, uh, yeah. She was but, just kind of egotistical, mm. you know, narcissistic. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, yeah, maybe that is meant to play against, like, how Indiana Jones is not those things. But Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of enjoyed the, the beginning that mm. takes place in World War II. Oh, yeah. That was like Indiana Jones at his best when yeah. he's fighting the Nazis, <laughs> you know. And he's, like, running along the train and stuff. Like, I really like that part of it. I love that, yeah. Like, just playing into the classic Indiana Jones, you know, just punch a Nazi in the face kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Before great. it was cool. <laughs> yep, yeah. yep. 
but um, I, I thought the movie did a really good job of like weaving together history and like some fun fiction kind of stuff with like, I mean, yeah, are we spoiling stuff? Is that okay? Or, oh, no? I, I mean, come on, we're talking about movies. If yeah. if you expected to listen to this and not hear spoilers, <laughs> yeah. So to me, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, the time travel part was really fun, like time traveling, you know, Nazis and stuff, and. Um, and then, yeah, the whole concept of, like, Archimedes' dial was, like, the Antikythera or whatever they called it. But um, that was kind of a fun house. Like, it, it really, in, in real history, it was a revolutionary thing to, like, how they, you know, tracked stars and stuff with, like, this computer-like mechanism that was really advanced for that time. But then, you know, in the movie, it's like, oh, I can, it's time travel and all that stuff, which is kind of fun. But, um, but, yeah, it's, like, kind of mixing the historical part with fiction, which is, yeah, that's right in the Indiana Jones sweet spot, I think. I, yeah, I like when they go back in time. But what civilization was that that they went to? Um, so it was Archimedes. I can't remember what. Um, it's like Roman or something, right? Greek. Yeah, around then. Yeah, Greek, I think. Yeah. So I really like the idea of them interacting with like ancient people. Mm-hmm. I really hated the way that scene ended though, mm-hmm. because it was so anticlimactic. So they are in ancient times, thousands of years ago. Okay, and um, someone else had flown a plane through the portal to come pick them up. Okay, and Indiana Jones is like. I want to stay here. I have dreamed about this all my life. You know, I've studied this culture. I want to stay here and experience it. And the the side chick, Helena, she's like, no, you need to come back. You, ca- you can't face. change history. And, and her whole resolution to this conflict is she punches Indiana Jones right in the face. And the screen goes blank, black. And then you wake, he wakes up in his apartment back in New York City. You never see at all how they go back to the future. You never see him struggling with this internal decision about whether to go back or not. You see no, like, sentimental expressions of wanting to be with anyone in the present or anything, you know? It just totally removed all of that for the stupid punch-in-the-face scene like in my mind that was the worst possible way they could have ended that scene <laughs> anything would have been better than that yeah to me like my gripe with that was that she made the decision for him and was like yeah maybe it was true that like it you know it wouldn't be a good idea for him to stay in the past and stuff and like and yeah like he still had things to live for in his time but then yeah for her to just make the decision and say like i'm gonna knock you out and throw you in this plane and go back to our time and stuff and so, I mean, cause that, yeah, that's kind of what they assume by just cutting, you know, stuff like that. But, but yeah, and when it's an Indiana Jones movie and he just kind of, you know, has that significant plot point decided for him, uh, yeah, that was kind of my complaint with that. Yeah, it seems disrespectful to the character. Well, yeah, basically, too, he comes, he's very depressed in this movie, you know, because, um, oh, what's her name? The, the woman he Oh, made? yeah, the girl he's in the, I can't remember who, who what her name is. She's like in the, oh, Marion Ravenwood. He was getting divorced from her. Their son had died. Um, All this terrible stuff was happening to him. And he just seemed so dejected, you know, which is a a departure from the previous Indiana Jones movies where he's very optimistic, Mm -hmm. you know, very um, vibrant. And so I'm sure that him being older is a big part of that. But I just didn't like these decisions where they just tried to make him as miserable as possible, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I really liked Maz Mickelson though, the the main actor for the the main villain. Um, he played the undercover Nazi guy who wanted to go like win the war for Germany and stuff like that. But he's been a good villain in a lot of other movies though. He was yeah, in like yeah. Rogue One. He was in Doctor Strange. Um, and yeah, I, I think he's a he's a good actor. But he did a German accent pretty well in this movie. I thought. Yeah. Also, I like the idea that he wasn't going to go back in time and help Hitler. He was going to replace Hitler. Oh, know? yeah. Like, yeah. he was going to be the person to make everything right. Yeah, <laughs> that was an interesting take. Yeah, it was a fun movie overall. It, yeah, I'm sad it didn't do as good, didn't perform very well. So I'm looking at the stats. It grossed $380 million worldwide. Hmm. So The Little Mermaid did better than Indiana Jones? Yeah. But the kicker, though, is that Indiana Jones had a budget of three hundred million. Mm. So they like broke wow. even. So that's not great. Yeah. Oh, they made money at least. No, 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 no. The when a theater plays a movie, they keep a percentage of the gross. Got it. So not all this movie is going to Disney, who made the movie. So I think it lost money probably. Which is kind of too bad. Because yeah. now I feel like. It's going to be a long time until we ever get another Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> Honestly, I think they'd have to wait until Harrison Ford dies. Yep. And then wait a, lot, a little bit and then just reboot the series with a new actor. I agree. That's probably what's going to happen. Just wait a tasteful amount of time after he's gone and then redo. Because what they should have done is they should have been more intentional about setting up his son in the previous movie <laughs> Shia you know, LaBeouf to take over Shia LaBeouf is still around he could take it over you know yep. but they killed off the character now. <laughs> yeah I feel like that is a that's Harrison Ford's preference though he's like I'm the only one who's gonna play Indiana Jones and like nobody else is gonna replace me <laughs> I mean on the other hand someone else has played Han Solo a younger version of him I suppose. Yeah. But I guess after losing Solo, you don't also want to lose Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's true. Honestly, Harrison Ford, I think, is still one of my favorite actors. Like, uh, a couple months ago, I was watching the movie Air Force One from the 90s. Oh, that's a good one. Where he's playing the President of the United States. And he's just a total badass in that movie, fighting these terrorists and stuff. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. The Fugitive is also a great yeah, Harrison yeah. Ford movie. He's done a lot of great stuff outside of his biggest his franchises. Yeah. Series, yeah. Yeah. But I have not seen this, but he was recently in a show called Shrinking, I believe, on Apple TV, and my brother loves it. Cool. So you might want to check that out. I think that one. Okay. So another one that was a series though was Transformers: The Rise of the Beasts one. Oh yeah. So yeah. Yeah. What are what were our thoughts on that one? Meh. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Transformers movies. Yeah, I, I thought this one was better than a lot of the recent ones have been. Um, I'm not a fan of Michael Bay, the style of his movies, but um, he was still involved with this one as a producer, but he's not the director, which I thought was good. You know, have it, give him less control over these movies, but. Um, to me, Transformers have like a, you know, nostalgic place in my heart. I grew up playing with Transformers and like Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, especially seeing like the Beast ones in there was kind of fun. Um, even though for the majority of the movie, the Beast guys like never even transformed until like the very last scene. And I feel like the, 
the makers of the movie are like, oh, crud, we forgot that they can transform. We should have them do that like once just to show it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I thought Transformers was fine, but I felt like it was kind of unoriginal and kind of... I felt like it was copying a lot of other big blockbusters. Like, I think we talked about this after we saw it. Like, I felt it was so much like Avengers Endgame. Uh, like, almost shot for shot, certain scenes <laughs> of things they were doing. It was a very weak plot, I thought. Like, there have been so many other, even, like, in the Transformers series alone, where there's, like, some generic key. It's like, oh, we gotta get the key and defend the key against the, the bad Transformers and stuff. And it was just that same plot again. And so, it, yeah, it seemed the story was not very original, but it had some fun moments. Um, they, yeah, the new Transformers they introduced were fun, like... Uh, Pete Davidson's character was kind of fun. Um, yeah. He had some kind of good com- like him. comedic relief moments. But what did you guys think of like the human actors in this one? I like Anthony Ramos a lot. Ramos, yeah, a lot. Yeah. He his big break originally was Hamilton. That's he right. Played Hamilton's son in that, so that's how I kind of know him. Oh, that's right. I never put that together. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a good actor. I thought, but. Um, Honestly, I can't remember any of the other people. <laughs> yeah, movie. they were super memorable. It didn't make a huge impression. There was like the girl who was worked at the museum and stuff, and but oh yeah, she was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then like with Bumblebee, like getting killed, but then they like bring back. I don't know. I thought that was. I mean, they they tried to do something. How many times have they tried to kill B? A lot of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that one was. It was entertaining, but, yeah, not super original, though. So do you think they're going to continue with the franchise with the end credit scene? Oh, that's right, with the G.I. Joe yeah. teaser. That, yeah. that, <laughs> that was kind of funny, because, yeah, I mean, they've made G.I. Joe movies before with, like, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and stuff, and they those movies were trash. And so <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope they do them well now. And they're trying to do their own, like, Hasbro cinematic universe now with, like, Transformers and G.I. Joe in the same universe. But It's kind of like... All the toys. Well, yeah, they saw the Barbie movie and they're like, huh, we could just take this superhero concept and do it with G.I. Joe. (laughs) Yep, exactly. I I would see a Transformers-G.I. Joe crossover event, though. That sounds kind of interesting. That would be kind of fun. Yeah, that is the. What other toys could they make into movies now? I mean, we got the Barbie and Mr. Potato Head. (laughs) Toy Story. Yeah. Well, he's not the main character. Make a whole movie just about Mr. Potato Head. Mm, Wow, an origin story. (laughs) (laughs) Here's here's how I would pitch this movie. Mr. Potato Head is a regular guy, okay, and then some crazy event happens and he runs for president of the United States. And he's giving like a big speech, and then all of a sudden his mouth falls out. <laughs> That's hilarious. He's given us a lot of thought. <laughs> it just came to me right there. <laughs> Although sometimes I just kind of be talking, and I'll have like a an idea for a movie for him. Yeah. Oh, sometimes yeah. they're pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> they're pretty good. True. Any of that you have on the top of your head right now that would be good. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> I should write them down. Yeah, um, you really should. <laughs> You make some money off of those. That'd be good. <laughs> um, would you want to? So. Do you want to keep your claimant idea under wraps? Oh, I did have this idea for a movie, um, where someone applying for disability benefits for um, psychological reasons mm-hmm. gets denied by the government, mm-hmm. okay. and then they decide 
that they still want to get the benefits and then they just kind of go crazy and have some kind of a psychological break or something you know and so i had this idea where the final scene is the claimant standing over the government worker being like am i crazy enough for you yet <laughs> and she's uh swinging a knife back and forth or something Ooh, wow that's pretty good <laughs> it'd be a horror movie obviously <laughs> kind of in the vein of um the black phone or something like that wow that's interesting yeah were what? there any great horror movies that came out this summer honestly not really i don't think any of us saw them yeah. oh the insidious one came out right mm. yeah i did but i didn't see it Okay, those movies usually are my cup of tea. So there is ask about those. There's a lot of horror movies coming out this fall, though. Oh yes, well, fall, Halloween, yeah, like the Nun Two. Anyone? (laughs) Okay, I will go see it because I love the whole Conjuring universe franchise. Mm. But the Nun, the first Nun, was terrible. Probably one of the worst horror movies I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) If you know, you know. (laughs) Basically. They, this sounds stupid to say about a horror movie, but it was really unbelievable. (laughs) Like, can I spoil the ending of the movie? We've been spoiling all day. So basically, they're in this monastery. I think it's like in Romania or something. Is this an exorcism movie? No, it's the first, the first nun. I haven't seen it. And they discover this vial or something that has the blood of Jesus in it or something. And, like, boy, it, it would have been sitting there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So the climax of the movie, though, when they're fighting the demon, the main character puts the blood in her mouth. And then when she's, like, being choked by the demon, she spits it on him. And then he uh, shrivels up and dies or whatever. Wow. It was <laughs> so That's stupid. Uh, I'm, I just can't get over... Well, that's just so gross. Well, I mean, first of all, we don't know what Jesus' blood type was, so <laughs> what if he had a different blood type than her? What would she do then? Well, she didn't drink it. She just had it in her mouth. Ew. Yeah, but that's disgusting, especially when, once again, you remember that that blood has been sitting there for 2,000 years. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. feel like that just gets kind of disrespectful, too. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, horror movies in general, I'm not a, not a fan. Just doesn't, you know, watching a movie just to try and instill fear in yourself, is, I don't know, to me that's not a great motive. But, but I mean, it is like, there can be tasteful, like, thrillers and stuff like that that mm-hmm. are not just straight up horror, but... I know. I don't like the idea of being scared the whole time you're watching a movie and just waiting for the jump. I I don't like that. I usually like to be a bit more at ease while watching a movie. Yeah. I feel like we were pretty at ease watching Blue Beetle. How about that one? Oh, yeah. And this is one where... We definitely had our pick as to where we could sit in the theater because we were the only ones there. Yeah, yeah which is kind of sad because I think more people should go out and see this movie. The top middle one. The, the yep. arrangement on that one. Yep, we no. sure did, Andrea. We got to put our feet up the whole time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so you liked it though, Sterling? What did you think? I thought it was a fun, cute superhero movie. I really like the main character. His name escapes me. Does anyone know his name? Uh, 
Was it Jaime? Yeah, 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 yeah. Jaime. He was really good. Um, yeah, overall the movie was good. I don't think they're really going to build off of it too much, but uh, for what it was, it was good. George Lopez was hilarious. He was hilarious. Yeah. yeah. He was like one of the only actors I recognize in that one, but he, yeah, he was. Was he one. playing as Rudy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yes, I love that. The character. movie is about a Latino family, I think in a fictional country, right? I think they no. live in Florida. I think they, I, they were in, like, the They Keys. mentioned the Keys, oh. yeah, so Florida. But I really like the whole family. The family was really funny and heartwarming, yeah. you know, how they all came together in the end. Maybe a little too soon to say heartwarming. Rip. <laughs> what? There was a heart attack. You know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, so the dad dies um, of a heart attack. Press up to pay your respects. And, um, and But then the rest of the family rallies together to defeat the, the villain. The grandma was hilarious. The grandma was so yeah. funny. She was fun. Oh. Yeah, like I'm glad it was just a, an origin story of like a new hero that like most people hadn't heard of. And, um, yeah, and they did it pretty well. To me, it had vibes of Ant-Man a little bit. Yeah, um, it did. But then it was like different enough. I, I wouldn't call it like a complete copy, but it was, it was good and I liked it. Entertaining. Man, that whole scene when the... When the beetle crawls into him and you see it sticking out of his back, that was really gnarly. And then, and then when he just flies around the town, the whole time I was thinking about the <laughs> about the Flex Seal guy saying that's a lot of damage. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. But I mean, that's you know that's just superhero movies. So, yeah, yeah. and I think like. I'm not super familiar with, like, the character from the comics, but, like, I did a little bit of background before we saw the movie, and it was, like, you know, there were a couple guys in the past who had the, you know, Blue Beetle mantle, and then they played that in the movie pretty well with having, like, the Ted Cord guy who, like, used to be the Blue Beetle in the olden days and stuff, and, and now he's, like, still out there somewhere. So they do have some opportunity to kind of explore more of that, but... But, yes, I, I enjoyed the movie. Yeah, it was fun. Pretty, you know, entertaining for what what it was yeah yeah definitely the story of you know there's this Jaime is this underdog and now you know he's fighting the unjust corporate system who even though he's went to college and racked up debt he can't seem to get a job anywhere guys this movie bomb though it grossed 85 million on a hundred million dollar budget Wait, didn't it come out pretty recently, though? Yeah, I think it's still playing, so hopefully it's not done making money yet. But well, a lot of these movies weeks, are front-loaded, though, what? It's only been out for a couple weeks, hasn't it? But you're right, they're like the only Yeah, that was like the last movie. one we we saw this summer. Yeah. Well, we were the only ones in the theater, so... <laughs> it must not be doing... Well, it must not be doing so we hot. We should talk about the other DC movie that came out this year. Actually, there was two, if you want to count Shazam 2 in March. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you see that? I've not. No Oops. one else saw Shazam no. 2? No. Oh, I mean, if we're going to talk about movies in March, we could also talk about the Mario movie. Ooh, yeah. Uh, that was very nostalgic for me. Yep, yep. It kind of leaned into the nostalgia a lot with that one. That was fun. Good cast. Chris Pratt. Yeah, let's talk about Chris Pratt and what a badass he is. <laughs> uh, I love Chris Pratt. I I would say he's my favorite actor at this point in time. Cool. And 
you just really got to give it to him because he gets a lot of crap from Hollywood, you know, because people call him a bigot and intolerant and all that stuff. But he just keeps doing his thing. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding, you know. Both movies that he was in this year were big, successful movies that really delivered, you know. And I think a lot of that was because of him. Yeah. And so I think he's really a draw that's selling tickets. Like, he's getting people into the theater more, like... Because of his conservative leanings, you know, he's kind of pulling that audience in more. Right, yeah. I'm glad that he, you know, sticks to his values and doesn't compromise when he's in the spotlight. And, yeah, still stands up for what he believes in. I appreciate yeah. that. So, for those who don't know, he's an outspoken Christian that goes to church. And people have criticized the church that he's gone to. And, like, given him a hard time for that. But he's, like, hasn't apologized for it and... Is still outspoken about his faith and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I, I gotta give him a lot of credit. Yep. Guardians 3 was really good. Yep. He, was, he killed it in that one. Yeah. I'm excited that Star Lord is coming back. Yeah. If they would have killed off that character, it would have been kind of sad. Oh, yeah. Would have been crazy. They are kind of, yeah, shaking up the Guardians a lot now. That, that movie had a lot of change happening. But... Well, isn't it the last one? Uh, well, I mean, they kind of tease that they're going to have, you know, a new Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. crew. And so they may not call it, the, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy 4 for the next one, but who knows. Yeah. Did you guys all see Guardians 3? No. No? I, I did see it, yes. Yeah, what do you think? I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It was much more... Just seeing the the internal conflict that Rocket goes through. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was the best Marvel Rocket. movie they've done in a while. Yeah, I really appreciate that they didn't make it as goofy as the other ones have been. Like, especially like Thor four and stuff. They, yeah, they were just so yeah. stupid, in my opinion. Like they just, you know, lean into the humor way too much, and there was nothing real about it. And so then this one, Guardians three, was much more, you know, gut wrenching and made you feel a lot more, mm. um, much more serious of a tone, and really good character development for a lot of the characters, I think. You know, they show you the internal struggles that they each go through and kind of learn new things about themselves and how to overcome challenges, and, and that's kind of what storytelling is, and I thought they did that really well. Well, it also had humorous moments. It did, yeah. They it was did. just balanced more. Right, yeah. I think that's when superhero movies are they're at their best, though, when they're grounded in reality, kind of, like mm-hmm. real humans, you know, going through relatable About emotions. as grounded in reality as people flying through the sky well, yeah, can yeah, be. true. <laughs> I thought it was funny, the part of the movie, when they're at that planet that is, like, made out of flesh. <laughs> that was super <laughs> uncomfortable the whole time. <laughs> And it's like they have to, you know, cut into it. And it's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, kind yeah. of a weird scene. But, <laughs> but a, lot of, a lot of humor in there. That was fun. Yeah. What movies are coming up in the fall now? We have, um, yeah, I mean, so Dune got delayed, right? The Willy uh, Wonka one's coming out. Oh, yeah. November, I think. Yeah, with Timothy Chalamet. I think that is going to be good. I like the trailer for that one. Yeah. Or the... The not Hunger Games, Hunger Games one. <laughs> oh, the prequel? Yeah. Right. That one I want to see. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and uh, the Marvels, like the new MCU one with, like, Captain Marvel, and then, um, and let's see, oh, yeah, Miss Marvel, 
And then, uh, oh yeah, and the girl they introduced in the WandaVision series, she's going to be in there now, too. Try to keep track of all of them. Yeah. yeah. True. Oh, uh, Aquaman 2 is coming out Ooh. this December. December, huh? Andrea's favorite actor. <laughs> Jason Momoa. I never saw the first one, though, so... Uh, what? Be a little lost. You said you see every single movie he's in. <laughs> Not every single one. Okay, so he actually is your favorite actor. It's not a sarcastic he's your favorite actor. I mean, I like him, yeah. but Did you I, see I don't him know in... if he's my favorite. I don't yeah. know if I have a favorite. In Fast 10, do you see him in that one? Oh my gosh, let's talk Fast X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fast X. Oh boy, what do you think, Sterling? I thought this movie, this franchise, is just going downhill. Like, they've tried to do the same thing too many times now, and now it's just stupid. You know, like, like just uh, all this stuff, like driving a car down the dam and it explodes <laughs> and like, like the guys like sacrificing himself to save the nephew and like, it's just old at this point. Like there's so many, there's only so many Fast and Furious movies you can watch before it gets stale, <laughs> you know? So nine yeah. is your limit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. To me, it kind of says more about, like, the audience and people's appetite for movies because you know exactly what you're going to get when you go into a Fast and Furious movie, but, like, people love it, and they just keep going back for it. And, you know, you drive a car in outer space, drive a car out of a building or out of an airplane. You know, they try to do everything they can that way, and people just love hearing Vin Diesel growl about family. and you know. <laughs> yeah, but it's just old at this point. <laughs> Also, there's way too many characters in this movie. There's like 20 main characters, and yeah. you cannot <laughs> keep track of all of them. Since they've introduced so many people in the past, you know, 10 movies, they bring them all back and stuff, and like all the prior villains become good guys now. And you know, So, to me, like, you kind of have to check your brain at the door when you go to a Fast and Furious movie and just enjoy it for what it is, and you just need to know what to expect. And so, to me, that's what I do is like, I know exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be this hilarious action that's unrealistic, but, like, really fun. And, you know, and knowing all the history of it is just really fun. So, did you like Jason Momoa in this movie? He was interesting, yeah. He, I actually <laughs> did like him as a villain. Yeah. I thought it was funny. I've heard a lot of people say that he had Joker vibes of kind of a psychopath, kind of yeah. you know, laughing when he's getting punched in the face kind of thing. <laughs> and he was kind of a, yeah, he was a little bit unnerving in some of those scenes. But, but he did a good job, yeah. Yeah. He's going back as the villain in the next one, right? I wouldn't be surprised. They kind of bring back every villain they've <laughs> <know>. past. So. <laughs> every character that's ever died in this franchise somehow comes back from the dead <laughs> yeah. to ride another day. Except for the one that died in real life. What was his name? Oh, Paul Walker. Yeah. Paul Walker. There's still rumors that they're going to bring him back, though. Like, oh, as, my gosh. You know, have Paul Walker's brother be in there and then like do the deep fake technology to make it look like Paul Walker and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like what they did in Rogue One with Bringing back a young Carrie Fisher to yeah. be Princess Leia. Oh, yeah, a lot now. Mm-hmm. Like how they de-aged Indiana Jones, you know, yeah, yeah. using that technology. They did. Technology's pretty good. So here's an interesting stat for Fast X. It grossed $700 million Ooh. worldwide. 80% of that, though, was international. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> fascinating. Wow. It's like a very... Uh, it's oriented more towards, like, non-American audiences, I feel huh. like. And you said no, most movies are, or a typical movie is 50-50? Yeah, I'd say so, for an American movie. Interesting. That's cool. 
Yeah, fast ten was. I love how the, you know the post credit scene at the end, like they find the bring back the rock into the hall. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, Gal Gadot's back too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody is actually dead, and like, cause Gal Gadot was like in a. How did she die? Like in the. Yeah, I don't know. Like nobody who dies is actually dead in that. <laughs> but it's fun to watch, though. You got to give it credit. Like yep, it's yep. it's it's fun at least, you know. Yeah, it, it really is. All right. Were there any other movies we wanted to talk about? Oh, yeah. we didn't talk. We didn't talk about Sound of Freedom. Yeah, Sound yeah, Freedom. that's what I was gonna say. What did you guys think? I've not seen that one. It was so good. Based. <laughs> I mean, really I I didn't very think it was. Impactful. Well, yeah, I I didn't see it as super based. I I think so. It's you know raising awareness of human trafficking and. It's about this guy named Timothy Ballard who works for the Department of Homeland Security and um, he learns about this this little girl in Honduras who was captured by human traffickers and she eventually was taken to Colombia and that's where Ballard went to go and save her. So that's the whole plot of it. And I think the reason people are saying it's based is, you know, well... They do mention, they do quote scripture in there a few times, and and it was made by Angel Studios. They also make The Chosen. Mm-hmm. And the, the actor is very conservative. Yeah. And of course, some people have associated the whole human trafficking with, with QAnon, because a big QAnon conspiracy is things like Pizzagate, and that all the Democrats are, you know... Alien pedophiles. <laughs> lizard people. All yeah, lizard people. Pizzagate. <laughs> yep, I mentioned Pizzagate, but yeah. <laughs> but, no, this movie was... There There weren't any lizard people in it. It was... It was... It was impactful. It was... Yeah, I thought it was very powerful. It was got just, me emotional a lot of times, like when he reunited the kids with their dad. That just really got to me. How many yeah. times did you cry, Sterling? A couple on that one. <laughs> no, it was it was really good. It was a really good movie. Especially when when Ballard is breaking into the Colombian rebel army camp that's like impossible to get into. That was Yeah, that was intense, honestly. My man, heart was oh, yeah. racing there. I know. That was like wow, I, he's really just venturing into the unknown and putting everything on the line to complete his mission. Oh, yeah, because, like, even the, the military and the police wouldn't go into that area. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so basically this little girl, probably, like, eight, nine years old, is sold to this warlord guy who's kind of, like, ruling over this little village. And he goes in pretending to be a doctor because that's the only way they'll let him in is if he's, like, going to provide medical treatment. And so he goes on a boat upriver and... These guys, they come down, like this warlord's like soldiers come down and they're shooting guns at him and stuff. And he's like, okay, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. But they take him by himself. So he's separated from everyone that he was working with. And he's like, and he locates this girl, okay, and finds out that he's, she's living with the warlord guy and uh, breaks into her house, kills the warlord, rescues the girl. 
But then the whole field is like up in arms. Like, oh my gosh, this guy just killed her. Literally leader. up in arms. Yeah, <laughs> up in arms. So then there's like this big chase where he gets the girl to the boat and they're going down the river. And then the soldiers are like following them and they're like shooting and all this stuff. And then they get back to a van that's down river and they throw the girl in the um, back of the truck and they just take off. And the soldiers are still firing at them, and like the windows of the van are like shot and stuff, and they barely get away. It was very close. Yeah, that was, man, and it's based on a true story too. That's that's See, so that's, hardcore. That's movie magic, though. I bet it wasn't that exciting in real life necessarily. Yeah, or or maybe it was. <laughs> But, but yeah, you're right. It's exciting to recreate something like that in a really cinematically engaging way. I know, but still, he's going into this really dangerous area. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people saw it. We had to sit, like, almost in the front. Yeah, it was packed mm-hmm. out wow. in our showing. It also helped that they had this system where you could pay a head for someone else to see it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've never seen that in a movie before. Yeah, it was like a crowdfunding model that they've yeah. done with, like, The Chosen and stuff, where you can, you know, donate toward this cause to make it free for someone else to watch. Yeah, that seemed to work pretty well. Yes. But yeah, great movie. And like we said, no lizard people. <laughs> That's the one takeaway. Yeah, but it was interesting, like, learning how the human trafficking industry works. Like, yeah. that woman, like, recruited them. Yeah. Even, like, the father trusted her and hmm. brought his kids to work with her, and then they just took off with them. Yeah. Wow. It was also really crazy seeing those... They showed some real-life scenes on surveillance cameras of these, like, toddlers just walking and, you know, these people on bikes just come and pluck yeah, them right it's off so the street. Yeah, so sad. I know. That's just insane. I. It's crazy. Yeah, that that is so crazy. And, and that's real stuff. Hmm. People are the worst. <laughs> uh, yeah. Goes to show the... Fallenness of man, the yeah. depravity of sin. Mm-hmm. Sinful human nature. Everybody acts in their own self-interest. Hmm. For sure. Yeah, that's that's rough. But let's see. Yeah, you got something else you want to talk about? Looks like you do. I just wanted to share. If you or anyone you know is involved with human trafficking, the National Human Trafficking Hotline is eight eight eight. Three seven three seven eight eight eight. Nice. That's good to throw that in there. And yes, thank you. The more you know. Yeah, good to raise awareness for it. That's what this movie was hopefully you know setting out to do. But... Mhm. Mhm. Another movie we saw this summer was Elemental, which was the most recent Pixar movie. Yeah. That was cute. Yeah, it was. What were your main takeaways from that movie? Was it original? Was it, you know, funny? It was very original. I thought it was creative with how they depicted, like, the different elements and stuff. So, just to give the gist of the movie. They live in the city. can't remember what it's called. But there's four different groups of people. There's the fire people, the plant slash dirt people. Earth. Earth. Um, and then there's... Air wa- and water. Air and water. And it's kind of like... A metaphor for different ethnicities and races, like how different people groups get along with each other. But of course, you have 
for example, in this world, fire burns wood and water puts out fire. So, so it, it you know, it's you a necessity. You can never be friends with a water person if you're a fire person. Right. Or so you think. <laughs> it was like a kid's version of Romeo and Juliet. Like yeah. forbidden love. Yeah, it was. Um, so yeah, there's this fire girl and her parents own this business and and it's threatening with being shut down because because they're having problems with the pipes and they can't afford to fix it. And this water guy was the one checking it out. Cause you know, he's water and water goes through pipes <laughs> and that's how they first meet but it turns into this into this grand adventure of trying to figure out the source of the leak right. and what i thought the coolest part of of the movie was was when they're on a beach and and the fire is is picking up the sand and burning it to make glass which i thought was really cool yeah, they were, yeah, they did a good job showing like how the different elements would affect the world around them and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like there's this one scene where they are walking through a fence, the couple walks through a fence and the fire girl burns through it and the water boy just walks through it like water. <laughs> right. That's funny. Well, but no, it was like a rom-com too. Like the couple have this really cute relationship and um no, it was just well done, I thought. Yeah, they're they're afraid to touch until until near the end when somehow smoldering steam. Yeah. <laughs> it was hot. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. It was like his hand was like boiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Do you feel like there were any like agenda that was that like Disney was trying to push in there? Because I know with you know a lot of the projects they've done in the past, they try to. Tell the story of like, oh, your family and your traditional values are holding you back, and you need to like break free and, and find whatever gives you pleasure and do your own thing. So, and and mm. that that kind of has some of that. Yeah, there was some of that because at the end she leaves her family. Oh. She doesn't want to inherit the family business. Yeah, because mm. okay. she she felt pressure from her parents to take it over, but then she realizes that she didn't actually want to do it. You know, and that's what led to her fiery temper. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting. So there was some of that. It wasn't like super like in your face though. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't any more than like Little Mermaid, like mm -hmm. Ariel leaving mm, yeah. the sea. You know. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was one of those super woke movies. We we had a friend that was criticizing it for um, promoting transgender ideology, huh. and, and all three of us at SOT couldn't really see where they were getting that. Mm. Yeah, there was like. Maybe these two lesbian characters in there, but yeah, like for like a like one shot. Seconds. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Huh. No, it was just like a cute animated movie. I think animated movies are becoming popular now with adults. Mm -hmm. I think, and so it's kind of a movie for all ages, in my opinion. That's good. All right. Well, this has been this has been fun, unless of course you, maybe to wrap things up, we all state our favorite movie this summer. Mm, okay. 
I'll have to look through what they all were again to see what my favorite was. I'm going to go with Barbie. Because I just like positive, funny, like uh, feel-good movies. And to me, Barbie was it. Nice. I got to go with Oppenheimer. I, I was really expecting a lot from it because, once again, Nolan's the GOAT. And he didn't disappoint me. Nice. Even though there were a couple of distasteful scenes, but... You know, I just wore my hat into the theater and kind of put it down over my eyes during those scenes. I put my hand over his eyes. <laughs> Did you? No, I did. Okay. I was going to say, you know, it's it's a dark theater, so it's not like anyone would have really noticed. Uh, I think I liked Elemental. I think that was my favorite. That was your top? Why was it? It was so cute. My... It had good music. Oh, yeah, yeah, the music's really good. I know, the soundtrack is... It's an underrated component of a lot of movies, but... Yeah, the music is really important. Okay, hold on, hold on. I'm going to look up the name of this song. Steal the Show by Love. Oh, yeah? Really fun song. I like that song a lot. I've listened to it many, many times. Nice. My top movie would be Mission Impossible, I think. Nice. Uh, I just one. I enjoy the whole series, and then this one stayed true to the series. It added some new action. It was just like some of the best action I think I've seen in in a movie, maybe yeah, in a long time. And it's just really entertaining, really fun. Keeps you on the edge of your seat, and looking forward to the next one. So um, as a bonus, I'm going to share my least favorite movie. Please which do. We didn't <laughs> discuss, but it's Asteroid City. Oh, by I think, Wes Anderson. I think did that one come out on Peacock? I know I've seen it on Peacock. Yeah, it's on Peacock. It's on there now. This movie okay, was it only streaming or was it also? In no, the- it was in theaters. It was theaters first. Okay. It made me angry that I had spent time watching it. It was just <laughs> so boring and bad i just can't express to you how much i dislike this movie so was it just a really quirky weird premise or like quirky too weird you couldn't follow what was going on they keep hopping back and forth between it's it's like trying to be meta Mm. but it's just too convoluted you know that's too bad it's just yeah it was just bad Overall, though, this summer was really solid movies it was fun to have a lot to go to and to see them in theaters and yeah, be entertained and to then get to talk about it. Do you feel like we're back to movies like pre-pandemic? I hope so, yeah. I think I, I personally am. But. Yeah, I mean, I've been post-pandemic for like two years now, so... Yeah. Well, I mean, just like in the terms of people coming back to the theater, you know? Yeah, that's the impression I got. I hope Hollywood can keep the momentum going because I want to see a thriving movie industry because i enjoy going to the movies and i think that this whole uh strike thing is going to set them back it's kind of sad to think about yeah i agree with that because they can't make movies now at all so the next couple summers we're gonna have fewer movies yeah hopefully they get that figured out soon indeed well yeah it's been a great summer of movies and it was great to to have it all culminate in this podcast episode. So yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for coming. Bye, summer 2023. A good summer of movies. Yeah. I just have to say, one of my favorite feelings is when you see a good movie and you walk out of the theater and the sun is still just setting in the distance 
and you just have this peaceful summer night coming out of the theater and then you all stand in the parking lot and you talk about the movie with your friends like I really enjoy that a lot that's a good feeling yeah well hopefully you get this feeling listening to this podcast episode with that Soli Deo Gloria